Well, good morning. I want to welcome all of you out. Thank you for being with us, whether you're worshiping with us on our Colonial Heights campus, our Midlothian campus, or with us via the internet. We thank you for being here and being a part of it. Uh, those of you who may not know who I am, I'm Mike Osborne. I'm the executive pastor here at the church, and I'm excited to be with you today as Randy preaches over at Mount Olivet. wonder how many of you this morning thought about how many signs you passed on the way here. For those of you coming to our Colonial Heights campus, I imagine you passed some street signs and some road signs, probably some billboards and maybe some advertisements for businesses. Then you pulled in a parking lot and you found more signs. You found signs on the side of the building. You found signs on the doors as you came in. You found signs through the concourse, and maybe if you went back into life groups, you found signs back there. You came into the worship center, and you found more signs. And if you're part of our Midlothian campus, then you add to that the signs advertising the current movies showing, and the ones advertising the movies that are coming, and then the ones trying to entice you to buy popcorn. I mean, there's signs everywhere. We live in a world filled with signs. I mean, everywhere you turn, you're going to find a sign. There are signs that tell us what to do, like stop. There are signs that tell us what we're not supposed to do. And then there's that occasional sign that just has us wondering because it seems to say to us, do whatever you want to do. (laughs) There are those signs that cause us to stop and wonder a little bit. I want you to notice. (laughs) Just have to stop and wonder about that one. But there are signs that are pretty obvious to us. If the door does not open, do not enter. It's good advice to follow in your life. There are those signs that, well, we just feel like we need to maybe test them. And then signs that we don't so much feel the need to do that. But you know, studies show that one of the signs that people most often accept without question, without testing, is this. An out-of-order sign. Now, an out-of-order sign is interesting because depending on where it's placed, it kind of generates different emotions. For instance, if you find an out-of-order sign on a drink machine. You might be disappointed, I mean, particularly if you're very thirsty or you just had a craving for, in this case, a a Coca-Cola. But if you find the sign on somewhere like this, I'm thinking it's a little more than disappointing. But what if where you find the sign is on your life. What about if you feel like your life is out of order? Now, there's some of you sitting here and listening to me today who are going to say, you know, I knew this was coming. I'm not a believer. I'm, I'm not yet a follower of Christ. And so I knew he was going to hit me this morning. He, he's telling me my life is out of order. Yes, I am. 
I do believe your life is out of order if you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I believe that God created us and he created us to be in relationship, to be in fellowship with him through his son and what he did for us on the cross. So if you don't have that personal relationship yet in your life, I do believe your life is out of order. No matter how good it may be going, no matter what's happening, going on in your life, if you don't have that basic foundation, then your life is not what God intended for it to be. But you're not the focus of our message today. That's not where we're going to camp out on you. So now there are others who are sitting there and go, okay, it's me he's going to get. I'm the Christian who's not really living a very Christian life. I've, I've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, but I've not really surrendered to him. I'm kind of still doing things my own way. I'm, I'm still trying to carve my own path in life. He's going to tell me my life is out of order. Yes, I am. In fact, think about it. If you say that you have accepted Christ, surrendered to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, but you're not letting Him rule, you're trying to rule, that's about as out of order as it can get. You're plugged into the wrong power source. But that's not where we're camping out today either. What I'm really talking about this morning Who I'm talking to is the child of God, the Christian, the believer who is trying as best they can to live a life of following God's plan, following God's direction, doing what they believe God is calling them and telling them to do. And yet, it's not working out exactly like you thought it was. It's not working out like you thought it was promised to you. Do you know what's worse? than a drink machine with an out-of-order sign on it? Well, actually, pretty much everything. That's pretty insignificant in the course of life, isn't it? But what I'm talking about is that what's worse than a machine with an out-of-order sign on it is a machine that doesn't have one but doesn't work. You go up to it, and you put your money in, and you push the button, and nothing comes out. And on top of that, you don't get your money back either. You have invested in that drink, and you got nothing. And for some today, that's kind of how you feel about your Christian walk, to be honest. I've invested, I've bought in, but I'm not getting out of it what I thought it was going to be. And so that's what we're going to look at today. What do we do? How do we respond when our life feels out of order? Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 13. says, and who will harm you if you're passionate for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed, but set apart the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. 
And always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right, let's kind of put this portion of the letter into the context of the larger letter. Just before these, this section, just before these verses, Peter's gone into a section in which he talks about how we're to live as children of God. How are we to live as Christians? And if you want to kind of bottom line it, if you're that kind of person, what he said in these previous verses is this, do no evil. In other words, he tells us, live a life that's right. Live a righteous life. And so he has gone into that and shared some things that go into living a righteous life. And now, as he begins this section, what he is telling them and telling us is this. He says, if you live a righteous life, if you live a godly life, he says, most of the time, generally, normally, it's going to be good. Things are going to be good in your life. But, He says, not always. Not always. And he begins to address something very specific as he talks about. He says, as you try to live this godly life and and do all of this, most of the time it's going to be good, but sometimes there's going to come opposition. And don't be surprised by that. Opposition will come. And so that's a very specific thing that Peter is addressing. But I think more than that, we can go further than that and we can talk about the general application of what's in these verses. And I think that applies to any time in our lives, any situation in which we feel like things are are not going like we thought they ought to go, when things are out of order, when things don't seem fair. And so he's giving us some instruction in what to do when we find ourselves in those situations. And the first thing he tells us is this. He says, when you find yourself in that type of situation, when you feel like things are out of order, when you feel like things aren't going as they should be going, he says, don't panic. Don't panic. Notice he tells us in this passage, he says, do not fear what they fear or be disturbed. Now, he takes that that verse right out of the Old Testament, right out of the writings of the prophet Isaiah, right out of the words of Isaiah. And so let's get the historical backdrop for that, since Peter felt like he really, it really applied, it really needed to go here. What was it happening in the time of Isaiah when he said these words? Well, King Ahaz was the king of Judah. And they were kind of in a bad place because they were being attacked. They were having a crisis of the Assyrian army coming against them. Now, the Assyrians were powerful. They had quite the army, and they're coming against Judah. And so he is a little bit disturbed. He is a little bit upset. He doesn't know exactly what to do in this. And so as he's going through this, the king of Israel and the king of Syria come to him and say, let's have the three of us form an alliance against the Assyrians. Well, Ahaz thinks about it a little while and decides, no, I don't want to do that. And so he refuses to form an alliance with the other two. Well, that kind of ticks the other two off. And so Israel and Syria decide they will form an alliance between the two of them against Judah. 
So now he's really in a pickle. Now he's not only got Assyria that he's worried about, but now he's got Israel and Syria also against him. And so Ahaz tries to come up with a plan. He tries to figure out a way to take care of this. And here is the plan he comes up with. I will form an alliance with Assyria. Assyria? That's who you were worried about in the first place. Folks, you can't make up stuff like this. That was his idea. That was his plan. And so the man of God, Isaiah, comes to him, and he tells him, he said, look, don't, don't make alliances that other people say are alliances. He says, don't fear what they fear. And don't be terrified, he says to him. And so now Peter takes that and brings it to us, and he says, all right, don't fear what others fear when life seems to be out of order. In other words, what he's saying in that is, don't worry about what you don't need to worry about. And then he says, don't be disturbed. And you could translate that also as in, don't be confounded or don't be confused about what's going on. He's warning us not to panic. Now, we understand, we know the word panic, but do you know the root, where it comes from, its origin? actually comes from Greek mythology. And it has to do with uh, the, the god, demigod Pan. Pan was, in Greek mythology, a forest sprite who, who hid out in the forest that separated the Greek city-states. In mythology, legend says that one of the things Pan liked to do to kind of pass the time when he got bored was he would wait until a traveler was passing through the forest and would get into the darkest part of the forest, and then Pan would hide in the bushes, and as the traveler went walking by, a little unsure of himself anyway in this new area, Pan would jiggle a bush. Well, you can imagine how it feels. You're walking around, you're a little apprehensive, a little leery anyway, and all of a sudden the bush beside you moves. Well, it would quicken their heartbeat and their step, much to the delight of Pan. And so, again, mythology has it that Pan would then run in front and get to another place, another turn in the road, and when they went by that, he'd jiggle another bush. And so as they're trying to make their way through the forest, he's just running ahead of them, jiggling bushes, scaring them to death, to the point where they begin to actually try to run and get out of the forest. Well, when they start running, their heartbeats have gone up, they hear the heavy breathing, they hear the, the footsteps, they don't realize it's theirs, they think something's chasing them. They were in a state of panic. You see, that's what panic does. Panic takes the circumstances and confuses us. And so what he's reminding us of here is don't let the circumstances cause confusion. When we think of Geico commercials, what do we think of? The little lizard. Yeah, the little Geico. But they got a lot of other good commercials. And one of them had to do with some young people who were running through the woods trying to get away from a murderer. And the tagline for that commercial was, if you're in a horror movie, you make bad decisions. It's what you do. Well, what they did, they ran, they found this cabin. 
And their conversation tells you the thought process that's going on in, in, their, in their minds because they go, let's hide in the attic. And somebody, no, no, let's hide in the basement. And they're arguing about where to go. And suddenly one girl just in tears goes, why can't we just get in the running car? And it pans away to an automobile that's sitting there running. All they have to do is jump in it and get away. But the rest of them, they kind of, you know, push her down with that. And they say, what are you, come kind of crazy? We're not going to do that. Let's go hide behind the chainsaws. Also behind the chainsaws is the guy in the mask waiting to kill them. But that's what happens. You see, the circumstances led to confusion. And panic causes us to give in to fear. And fear causes us to make bad decisions. Peter says, don't panic. Rather than panic, he says, stay focused. Stay focused on God. You see, if our desire is to please God in all that we do, then the fear of not pleasing Him kind of makes everything else unimportant. See, the fear of the Lord surpasses, conquers all other fear. And so our desire is to please Him, to serve Him, to give Him due place in our lives. The Bible says that we need to remember that no matter what's going on in our lives, if we Living righteously, if we're suffering for righteousness, he says, you're blessed. You're blessed. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes it doesn't seem as much like a blessing as others, does it? Sometimes when it's not going like it should, sometimes when it seems to be out of order, it's hard to see where God is in that. It's hard to see the blessing. It's hard to see God at work. I want to read you part of a song Laura Story sings called Blessing. It says, we pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing. For prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. All the while, you hear each spoken need. Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? And what if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your blessings in disguise? See, what she reminds us of is the circumstances are not always what they seem to be to us. God is in control, and God is God. See, we need to remember that great phrase that's found over and over and over again in Scripture. But God. Things look one way, but God. 
Let's look at just a few verses, and we could have hundreds of them, but let's look at a few. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The circumstances may look one way to us, but God, don't ever forget, but God, God may do, be doing something entirely different. Look at this quote from John Calvin. If we are convinced from the depths of our soul that the promised help of God is all sufficient, we shall be most effectually armed against all fears. When life seems out of control, out of order, when it doesn't seem like it's going like it ought to go. When you say, I don't know what I can do in this situation. Remember, God is all sufficient. God is all we need. God is at work. God is in control. God is always God. So not only do we not panic and stay focused, but we also use the opportunity. Use the opportunity. Look at this thought here. Every situation is an opportunity for a witness. Every situation. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was working on this sermon, when I was first writing this, this wasn't the sentence I had right here. I actually had every crisis is an opportunity for a witness based on where we were. But I got thinking about it. I said, that's not good enough. <laughs> it's not every crisis. It's every situation is an opportunity. Both the glorious and the painful are opportunities for us to witness to the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the sufficiency of God. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes it's easier to present that witness, to proclaim that witness when it's the glorious things. I mean, when God is just doing something awesome and glorious and amazing in our lives, we can't wait to tell everybody. It's easy to do. It's harder. It's harder when it's in the midst of the pain, when it's in the midst of the struggle, when it's in the midst of the strife. But I'm going to tell you something. 
the witness in the midst of the pain is actually much more effective than the witness in the midst of the glorious. I want to read you another little passage. It comes from a pastor in Indiana by the name of Todd Benkirk. This was written when his wife was struggling with cancer. This is written as a witness out of the pain. There are many opportunities to give praise to God for His continued faithfulness and the reason for the hope that's in me. To those who ask about my wife, I share not only her condition, but testify to her strong faith in the Lord. To unbelieving friends who have expressed care for me, I'm honest about my struggles, but also about my source of hope. To my children, I teach them about the faithfulness of God and model what it means to trust Him. To others in need of comfort, I offer them the comfort I myself have received from the Lord. To nurses, doctors, and other caregivers, we testify to the goodness of God and our trust in Him through it all. When others observe our joy, despite all that's going on, we share that our relationship with the Lord is the source of that joy. As people inquire about our needs, I testify of the faithful care and support of the body of Christ. To fellow believers, I've been able to share about how God has been working in my life to grow me spiritually. And to others who are suffering but don't know Him, I can offer the hope that I've found in Jesus Christ. See what Todd shares there is that we have something the world desperately needs. And that something is hope. In fact, in this passage, he says, be ready to give a defense. Take the opportunities you have to tell others of the hope that is yours. We need to let the world know that there is hope. But, you know, English word hope just doesn't do justice to what the Bible's talking about. Because the English word hope, you could most closely probably associate it with dreams. In fact, we talk about our hopes and our dreams. When we say we hope for something, we're usually talking about something that we'd like to see happen, but maybe we really don't think it ever will. For instance, when I was a kid growing up, I wanted and hoped to be a professional football player. Now, I think probably even as an 8, 9, 10-year-old, I knew that chance was slim. But I still hoped. Kind of lost hope now. I don't think it's going to happen. But see, that's, that's how we think of hope in our language. But what the Bible's talking about is something much more than that. In fact, it's not associated so much with the idea of dream, it's associated with the idea of truth. And so when we say we're talking about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, we're talking about a certainty that has been promised to us. It is a truth that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And so when we give witness, when we give testimony, 
in the midst of our pain. We're sharing what God makes available to us on the basis of Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to panic. But rather we can stay focused. And we can use the opportunity to tell others about Jesus. About a dozen years or so ago, there were some protesters in England that were not happy with England being involved in the war uh, in the Middle East. And so they were a small group, and they were trying to figure out some way they could, you know, be involved in civil disobedience, that they could express their opinion and, and have an impact with such a small group. They came up with this rather clever, devious, if you will, plan. What they did is they printed up hundreds of small out-of-order signs. And they went all around the cities in the country there, and they put them on vending machines. They put them on phone booths that they had there. They put them on uh, doors going in and out of businesses. And they pretty much shut things down for a little while. Because remember, back in the beginning, what's one thing about an out-of-order sign? People don't question it. As soon as they saw it, they said, oh, can't get a drink, can't go through that door, can't enter that business. It's out of order. See, it was a fake, false, out of order sign. There was nothing wrong there. Just a fake sign. And child of God, if you're following Trusting in Jesus Christ. Living for Him. There's no out of order sign on your life. What's sitting there is a fake. It's a phony. It's a false. It's placed there by Satan. To bring confusion and doubt into your life. And to try to take away your hope and your joy, and your purpose. Don't panic. Focus on Jesus. And use the opportunity you've got to bear witness. So what do we do with God's message for us, well, as we go out into the world, we go out into the week, we go out into our lives, we remember those things. Don't panic, stay focused, use the opportunity. But what do we do today with it? What do we do right now? Okay, we come to the end of the service, and every time we come to the end of the service, we say it's an opportunity for decision. It's an opportunity for you to do something. So what do we do with it today? I think it depends on who you are. If you're that child of God who was trying to live for Him, but things weren't going quite like you thought they should. Maybe you just need to bow your heads and say, God, I'm not going to panic. I'm going to stay focused. Maybe you need to just confess, Lord, I, I was letting 
the situation, the circumstances bring confusion into my life. And I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to remember that you are all sufficient. That you are in control. But maybe you're that Christian who knows. The one we talked about back at the beginning. Who, who says, yes, I, I've accepted Jesus, but I can't say I'm living for Him. Can't say I'm really surrendered to Him. Then the day is the day. For you to put order back into an out-of-order life. As you see, you, I said, for the Christian, the follower, the person who's striving to live for Jesus... That out-of-order sign is fake. But if you're living for yourself, the out-of-order sign is real. And today you need to surrender it to Him. Because you can't live your life trying to claim Him as Savior, but ignoring Him as Lord. You can't live your life wanting to get to heaven out of it, but not trust Him and live for Him and serve Him here in this world. You declare Him, accept Him, and proclaim Him as Savior and Lord. And some of you need to just do that today. And then for those who are here today and have never entered into a relationship with God, never entered into a relationship with Jesus, never accepted what Jesus did for you when He came and paid the price for your sins so that you could have a right relationship with God, so that you could have fellowship with Him whose life is, is out of order. Because God created you for that. What do you need to do? You need to acknowledge Him for who He is. For what He did. You need to proclaim Him. As Savior. The only one. The way. The truth. And the life. The end of our service as we're finishing up. The doors are opened. If you need Jesus Christ, if you need to establish and start that relationship with Him, then what I would encourage you to do is go through the doors, go out to the big desk right in front of the big windows there. There's some counselors there, some folks who just tell you what God's Word says. How you do that? It won't take but a few minutes. And they'll share with you how your life can be forever changed. Or maybe what's out of order in your life is you just really haven't latched on and connected in to a, to a local church family. You kind of go here, there, move around, but you know you need to be somewhere and connect in and associate with a local family of believers. Maybe today's the day you need to do that here. Maybe you feel that God's leading you to join and become a part of the Heights Baptist Church. Just go back out there to that very same table. There's some folks there that will tell you how to do that as well. Whatever your decision today, God is calling. Will you answer? 